0: Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March 22nd, 2015. I'm sure all those south of the border there are getting happier and happier by the day as spring seems to be coming into view. And up here where I am, it's still darn cold and lots of snow. And it snowed again last night again, just to prove the point, but... um, At least it's getting a bit uh, milder at night It's still going to hit uh, into the sub-zeros tomorrow and the next day or so But uh, who knows, over the next week or two It should start to improve And there's actually some very hazy Chem sprayed sunlight coming through now So it uh, cheers up the, the situation a little bit For a lot of people up this way But you know, I've talked for years and years About the big agenda And to show you that they're living through a planned script basically, an agenda. I've gone through the documentation of world planners, the big groups involved, the private clubs that in fact, who also have many members within parliaments and congresses across the world. And they have members all through the bureaucracies too. That's very important bureaucracies to make sure that they are given their agendas too. They almost work independently of politicians to an extent, in specialized departments because the the heads of those departments are well-schooled in what their big agenda is for their working lifetime. And they they hire and work and retire and hire and work and retire for generations. And that's how foundations also work, the big private foundations that were put up by the big banks and private bankers and corporations uh, who decided to use their tax money, uh, the tax-free money that is an exemption charitable uh, systems basically, to create non-governmental organizations which they can then use to push from the public's perspective. It seems to come from the grassroots and they push and demand from government to have certain laws passed. It simply coincides with the big agenda, of course, the greening agenda, a global warming agenda, the climate change agenda, and and all these different agendas, and Agenda 21, all under the umbrella of the United Nations, which was set up, remember, by a private organization of extremely rich people of the day. Now it these big foundations do the same thing. They hire, they work a life's career within these foundations, many of the people, and they retire and hire, work and retire. So they can set an agenda 100, 200 years ago and continue the same policy and goals down through centuries until they achieve the goals. Different from, say, the, the, the art of politics as far as the public perceive it where Parties are simply voted in and out and in and out and so on, uh, never even knowing that the leaders of the parties all belong to the same private club. So everything is managed naturally. If you want to bring in your particular view of a world under control, from birth to death for every citizen, with uh, eugenics systems on the go and big plans, with who breeds with whom, if they can breed at all and give them licenses to do so, all these plans, etc., and eventually creating humanoids, cyborg types, and then into the full genetic creations of the new kind of Superman, for the upper elite, that is, then you must control every facet of society and culture. And culture, of course, is very important. The culture industry updates your culture and you copy it. You copy the, the words, the terms that's put out there within movies, never realizing you'd be conditioned to accept things that if you're really, really thinking about it and rational about it and you'd reasoned through it all, you wouldn't simply accept them. You're pre-programmed to accept what comes down the pike in reality. Also tonight, I'm going to touch on another topic I talked about years ago, I think, Mentioned, i think back in 2005 or 6 i'd never touched a computer in my life i'd been on the radio long before but i never touched a computer because i knew the goal of the computer it was was eventually to monitor every single person up you know get all their emails and what they're chatting about and so on and also the governments would use supercomputers which they boasted about back in the 90s the big Cree computers to gather all data and information about every single individual in real time So I knew it was for the gender's sake And not for our sake The little window of Opportunity as it's called Where people could chat back and forth Has been carefully monitored And scrutinised from the very very beginning Laws or no laws I don't care what they say actually And you'll find that uh, One or two years ago Brzezinski at one of the CFR meetings Cancer and Foreign Relations said that the people were becoming politicized. In other words, uh, becoming aware, consciously aware of the big geopolitical programs that were going on and agendas uh, put out by, uh, who worked in fight by many members of the CFR Trilateral Commission and so on and uh, that got a a cry at the time for one of the Rockefellers who wanted a bill to get put through to censor the internet. Uh, Now these boys don't put ideas forward and, and then forget them because of any backlash. You simply go back to the drawing table and find other ways to bring it in. And under the guise of anti terrorism, they have changed the whole system. And who can argue with it because it's to keep you safe? That's the excuse. And that's the plausible excuse. Remember that for everything that happens in politics, there's a, a good reason, and then there's a real reason. You're always given the good reason. Uh, but you're never given the real reason. And the same thing goes on here. Uh, Obviously, information has always been controlled. Uh, That's why folk were kept in absolute illiteracy for centuries, in fact, in many countries, because knowledge is power. And the communication from old books and so on, ideas from even ancient Greece, for instance, could be used to radicalize people, at least that was was thought at the time, by those in control and, and bring their systems down. So they wanted the people to be illiterate, and especially the ones who were at the bottom of the ladder, who had very little and worked the hardest, of course, because everything in our system, like Marx said, which is one of the... Don't, don't ever throw things out the window. Even Marx said a lot of truths. They had to be, have self-evident truths, to get people on board, and that's what they always use, different different groups. And Mark said that uh, all wealth comes from the workers, the people, labour, from labour itself. And somebody goes up the ladder and gets sold many times and so on to the finished produce, and then it's taxed, and then the workers tax again too now. So we are the business, I've always said that, we are the business, the public are the business. So anyway, I always knew that the internet would come to an end through the guises it's going through, and I'll be touching on that tonight too, because uh, it's all very real. Uh, All the laws are being passed, and laws or no laws, they've already been doing it regardless. This metadata stuff is utter rubbish, always was rubbish, which means that, well, they're collecting the metadata, but it's only on who you contact, when you contacted them, and so on, who contacted you. Which is rubbish. They've been, they've been collecting the content, the entire contents of telephone calls and emails and texting all along. All along. Naturally, they would never ever forgo the opportunity to know everything about you, and they certainly do. And now, an old, a, a technique is coming in, and it works awfully, awfully well. It's been in, in place for a while, but it can be used across the board and it's definitely going to be used on the internet now, where you self-police yourself. When you put a camera up in the streets, for instance, they, they know this from many, many, many repeated experiments, your behavior, if you are in the ca- on camera, your behavior will change when you know you're on camera. You behave less spontaneously, you're aware of being watched, and you self-police yourself. It's a term used in the United Nations, They even used at the League of Nations before it became the United Nations. If that's how they would train the public. Constant lifelong education also includes self-policing. The other part of that starts in youth, where they use uh, cognitive and, and neuroscience, uh, behaviorism, to condition the children Into Pavlovian responses to certain topics and so on So they simply get set back to what they call their default position They won't even look into something Even if they feel uncomfortable with whatever that something happens to be They feel more uncomfortable going against their their indoctrination So never ignore these sciences and think that that it doesn't affect you It affects everybody, believe you me Now the old group that was behind so much of what happened in the 1800s through the 1900s and into the 20th century. In, in the, 20, the early 20th century, it was called the Lord Alfred Milner Group. And they had different names, of course, that they, they, had a, they didn't want their name to be known to the general public. And they had the, what they called the round table societies, which they, they, they would bring in future leaders in all different areas of commerce and even local government up to the federal government positions in different countries and they eventually became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, another private group uh, made up of, of elitist sons and top bankers of the day, international lenders lent to whole nations and their idea was to take over the wealth of all countries and bring in a world system under their control. They set up the Council on Foreign Relations for the U.S., same organization actually as the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and they, they set up the, the League of Nations and the United Nations to, uh, to do their bidding, basically, where they could bring people in for, for conferences and gradually, through treaties, merge them together into trading blocks and then into a global world system with a parliament which, again, would be under the control of themselves and the magnets, the power magnets and financiers of their time, right down to the present day. Uh, It hasn't stopped. It's, it's, It's almost achieved its goal. They would use war and catastrophes and so on to their advantage. That's where the term comes from. How can we use this catastrophe or crisis to our advantage? And they certainly understand the science of doing this, because they've done it all along. In their own private documentation, their own private archives for history, because they have a different version of history, because they know what, what was behind different things like the Boer War and World War I and so on. Professor Carl Quigley was given access to them as their historian for a while, and he wrote in his own books, which were published, uh, that uh, this group had existed for an awful long time. Every president, and prime minister, really, since the late eighteen hundreds, belonged to this private organisation. Of all parties, it doesn't matter what party you vote in. And he said that uh, that uh, their goals were. He believed in their goals. Quickly, himself believed in their goals. He just disagreed with some of the means by which they achieved their goals. Now, he also said in the Anglo-American establishment that they'd been responsible for the Boer War, get that all kicked off, to take over all the land uh, that became Rhodesia, South Africa, and the gold and the diamonds and so on resources, wealth and power, because wealth to them is power, you see. It hasn't stopped today. Now it's oil and, and everything else, all the minerals, etc. So it's a very old agenda run by a private organization at the top, It runs both the left-wing, the Fabian Society groups, and the right-wing groups. And that way, when you try to oppose something, most folk will join a group that exists to oppose them. And they're already made for you like a tailor-made suit. You just slip it on and become one of the group, you see. Not realizing the one at the top has a different agenda from all the followers. That's standard procedure. Standard. Even Lenin said the same thing for, for the Soviet system, the Bolshevik system. How to defuse all other conflicting parties or similar parties when they first got in. And coming into office as a bol, the Bolshevik party. And he said, what we do is supply the, 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 the leaders and create the parties. Or if, if they don't exist, create them and, and put your leaders in. If they already exist, simply get your own guys in at the top. And then you can lead them wherever you want to. And that's all happened, you see. Old techniques, very old, much older than Lenin, of course. And Machiavelli basically did it awfully, awfully well as a study course on how-to for tyrants, basically, and for those that want to secretively take over systems and whole peoples, and their rights, in fact, take them away from them, too, under very good-sounding guises at times. Therefore, the world is living on an agenda Uh, Crisis or the threat of crisis Have to exist If there's there's no real facts for the threat You create bogus stuff for the facts And you get also scientists on board who all agree on it Uh, And and you can't argue with science, right? That's what you're taught And and therefore you go along with whatever they, they say To get a whole agenda through now, long ago, back in the days when H. G. E. Wells and George Bernard Shaw and others belonged to the Fabian Society, the left-wing party for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, they also set up the World Parliament's Association, World Parliamentarians. You'll even find it in, in much older poetry, in fact, by some top poets, about the World Parliamentarians, the Parliament of the World. And they believed that uh, uh, they could again achieve this goal of controlling the whole planet and its wealth and all of its peoples by creating a world parliament, another branch of it was called the Federalist Society, it's both on the go today. Still, many associations, well financed, they're always working quietly day and night, generation after generation, to achieve their objectives. And then they have sub-parties underneath it, sub-groups that deal, just big ones too, mind you, but they they deal with the unification of the Americas, the Council of Americas, for instance, and, of course, they had the the ones for Europe, the total integration of Europe, all created by a group at the top a long time ago, the Lord Alfred Milner Group, that became the Rolling Street for International Affairs. Now, tonight I'm going to put up... uh, Links, for instance, to different articles, but the first one is this one here. It says, "Call for a World Parliament reinforced at Second Global Week of Action," and this is from the United Nations and and the campaign for United Nations. And it says here, "The call for a World Parliament reinforced at Second Global Week of Action." Citizens in over forty locations around the world celebrate Second Global Week of Action for World Parliament. Between 17th and 26th October, the call for the establishment of a democratically elected global parliament took centre stage again at events and actions around the world, held on the occasion of the second global week of action for a world parliament. The week of actions announcements declare that people across the world feel to be voiceless in global decision-making. It says that world citizens, like the world citizens, have little influence on decisions taken at institutions. Such as the UN, the IMF, the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, the G20 or the G8 Further, it's, actually you have no say in the UN or the IMF, private organization The WTO, private organization, set up by the, all of the groups, the World Bank and so on And the G20 and G8 were set up and, and all their, their, their outlines for their existence chartered and drawn up by the CFR, the, brand, the American branch or Canadian branch or Australian branch or whatever, uh, or the British branch of Royal Institute for International Affairs. Further, it states that the governments represented in these bodies are often being influenced heavily by the lobbyists of global corporations. You see, the people are aware of that. Again, they become politically awakened, you see. So here's their, their way to get around that. I mean, you think they're doing something about it. An elected world parliament, by contrast, would be an instrument to find and implement solutions that are democratic, accountable, and serve the best interest of humanity. Well, who decides what the best interest of humanity is? They're all on board with the idea of science running the whole show, folks. All of them. Doesn't matter what side or wing you take it from, it's always the same agenda. And always lovely sounding things, you know. Just to underpin this message, citizens came together in over four locations around the world and displayed banners with the week slogan World Parliament Now. Panel discussions on this subject were held in Buenos Aires, Argentina, Berlin, Germany, uh, Rajkot, India, Verona, Italy, Kigali, Rwanda, and Gothenburg, Sweden. This is at the event in Berlin, the global coordinator of the international campaign for United Nations Parliamentary Assembly. Andreas Brummel said that he was high, it was high time to recognize that global governance isn't working, meaning the way it is right now. It's not working because it's not delivering the results quickly enough to ensure a decent life for every human being and for a transition to a sustainable global civilization. So you're back to sustainable part two. You have the usual age and transition. This is a transitory age, you see, as they push through their whole century of change agenda, which again... Uh, came out at the top boys, the same group at the top. As at the same time the system is deeply undemocratic, both of these problems are interlinked, he stated. It has been a successful Action Week with significant events and powerful photos from around the world. Step-by-step our message is gaining ground. And next year even more people will join us in our call for global democracy and universal peace and justice. The week's coordinator, Peter Olmunger. Concluded It says here So I'll put this link up tonight For those who Care at all To even look into it Most folk today Don't want to look into things Because They think anything They've been trained actually As Brzezinski said In the 1970s uh, That The reasoning Will be done by the media In other words You look to the media To do your thinking And reasoning for you And most folk do They prattle about One day What they've heard In the news The previous day And if the media Tells you to worry About prostitutes Or young girls Being turned into Prostitution And Nigeria or somewhere, or it's something that lips over everyone the next day. But anything that really matters to you, or your purse, or your livelihood, the media won't mention it. So if they don't mention it, you see, you won't worry about it. The media has to say, be concerned, be very, very concerned. If they don't say that, uh, most folk will think, well, if it's really dangerous to me, or my way of living. They would tell me. That's how the people think that the, re- the, the, the media is there, to do the reasoning for them. Now this article here talks about freedom in jeopardy. And it's from RT News and it says thousands rally across Canada against the new anti terror law. Because now it's time to rope in the internet, obviously. And it says thousands of demonstrators are united across Canada to take action against proposed anti terrorism legislation known as Bill C fifty one, which would expand the powers of police and the nation's spy agency, especially when it comes to detaining terror suspects. Organisers of the Day of Action said that over 70 communities across Canada were planning to participate Saturday, according to StopC51.ca. Now, on this particular article, too, which I'll put up the link tonight, uh, you'll get other links within the actual article itself. It says, The biggest gatherings were reported in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Ottawa, and Halifax. One person said, I'm really worried about democracy. This country is going in a really bad direction. And it says Prime Minister Stephen Harper is taking it in a really bad direction. Protester Stuart Basden from Toronto, the Canadian city, which saw hundreds of people come out, told the Star. Freedom to speak out against the government is probably in jeopardy. Even if you're just posting stuff online, you could be targeted. So it's a really terrifying. Bill Basden added. And it says ruling Conservative government tabled the legislation back in January, arguing that the new law would improve the safety of Canadians. And it said the anti-terror bill is labelled as being too vague. Demonstrators across the nations held the signs and chanted against the bill, and so on. And it says because they, they believe that it would violate Canadian civil liberties and online privacy rights. I really don't think you have any privacy rights at all, as it is and has been from the beginning. Protester Holly uh, Koflook told CBC News that legislation lacks specificity. It wasn't specific enough, in other words. it just uh, so much ambiguity. At least people open and vulnerable. This is one of the protest organisers in Collingwood, Jim Pinkerton, shared with Q- QMI agency that he would like to see the Canadian government start over with the Bill of safety 51 with proposed safeguards and real oversight. We need ceases to be accountable it's not, as, for the, as the Security Intelligence Agency it says, uh, it's not okay for CSIS to act as the police, which is what's indicated in Bill C-51. We need accountability and Canadians deserve that, Pinkerton said. Dave batch is being backed by more than 30 civil liberties groups, including Amnesty International, Canada, uh, Lead Now, Open Media, Canadian Journalists for Free Expression and the Council for Canadians and Others. It says, uh, one of the biggest concerns the new legislation raises is the additional powers it grants the police and Canada's spy agency, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, by increasing information sharing and allowing detention on mere suspicion. It says, this bill is disproportionately targets Indigenous communities, environmental activists, dissidents and Muslims, many of whom are already subjected to questionable and overreaching powers by security officials, and will make it easier and ostensibly lawful for government to continue infringing upon the rights of peaceful people. Stop C51.ca said. as says the government rejects the argument. It says a spokesman for Public Safety, Minister Stephen Blaney, Jeremy Lawrence, spoke in support of the bill on Saturday, telling CBC News The government rejects the argument that every time we we talk about security, our freedoms are threatened. One awful thing to say that, or a statement like that, if you understand history at all. It says Canadians understand that their freedoms and security go hand in hand and expect us to protect both, and there are safeguards in this legislation to do exactly that, Lauren said. And it says um, Blaney's parliamentary secretary, Roxanne James, also issued comments of support, saying she was happy to answer any questions or concerns about the proposed law. It says most people across Canada believe that if one branch of government comes across information pertinent to the national security of the country and the safety and security of its citizens, then that branch of government should be able to relay that information to our national security agencies, James said. That is precisely what Bill C-51 would do, and I was pleased to be able to answer those concerns. So, yeah, it's all coming down, obviously, but if you look at the old ideas I mentioned at the beginning of the Milner Group, Alfred Milner Group, uh, which became Roland for International Affairs, CFR, Trilateral Commission, and so on, uh, they themselves um, already had information to an extent sewn up back in their day, and Quigley admits that too in his books, uh, because they, they, the members of it were all the media magnates too, or moguls, I should say, media moguls, and they, uh, they, they were always putting false information into the newspapers uh, for their own particular purposes and to sway the opinion of the general population. So, naturally when you go into the age of television and internet, it's the same bunch who still control it. Separate information from a big power would be very, very dangerous to anyone's particular agenda. So it's quite natural that they simply keep uh, keep at it and at it, and make sure that whatever information is out to the public uh, is what they desire to be out, whereas complete. It's, general, it's never complete, of course, information. And and also a lot of it is simply omitted. The rest of the stories is simply omitted, which leads you to the wrong conclusion, which to them is the right conclusion that they want you to have. It's, it's quite easy, isn't it? And it says in this other article here from the Toronto Star, it says, uh, Canadian security intelligence service highlights white supremacist threat ahead of radical Islam. This is amazing, but again, getting back to Royal Street for international affairs, uh, they created the term the the British Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Nations. It sounded better than the Empire or Dominion, and so they created that term. And they still have that organization on go today because this organization at the top has members throughout all of the political establishment and the commercial elitist establishment of the Commonwealth nations. And whenever they pass one thing in one country, you'll see it's being passed in another under a different name. It's the same thing. And they are doing it all over the British Commonwealth system. So here you have it's, this stuff getting thrown in here too. Political ideas behind loan rule for tax run the gamut, says internal ceases documents, but they're likely are found in the radical right-wing than in radical Islam. It said, uh, it said that uh, Zayad Mia of the Canadian Muslim Lawyers Association says anti-Muslim sentiment in Canada is a growing concern and some of the xenophobia has been stroked by political leaders. Uh, it says that... Uh, lone wolf attacks more often come from white supremacists and extreme right-wing ideologies than from Islamic radicalism, says internal CSIS documents. Citing recent academic research, then classified documents note extreme right-wing and white supremacist ideology has been the main ideological source for the 17% of so-called lone wolf attacks worldwide. Islamic extremism, Accounted for 15% such of such attacks And document noted, well, left-wing extremism And black power groups followed with 13% Anti-abortion activism, 8% And nationalism, separatism, 7% running down the list, while in 40% of cases There was no clear ideological motivation Lone actors tend to create their own ideologies That combine personal frustrations and grievances with wider political, social, or religious issues. Note the document prepared for Michael Pierce, Assistant Director of the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. It says this study confirms that the lone actor terrorism runs the gamut of ideological persuasions. The documents obtained by the Star under the Access to Information Law were prepared for Pierce's appearance before a Senate committee. On National Security in October His testimony came five days after Michael zahaf Bibo Fatally shot Corporal Nathan Surlow At the National War Memorial In a video recorded Minutes before the shooting uh, Bibo claimed his actions were In retaliation for Canada's combat missions In Afghanistan and more More recently uh, in Iraq zahaf Bibo's attack came days After the Martin uh, Couture rouleau Ran down the warrant officer Patrice Vincent and Sejan Sur Authorities said that the, the, the couture law was frustrated after he was refused a passport legislated to travel to Syria and fight for the Islamic State. These two attacks have focused the Korean conversation about domestic terrorism on radical Islam to the exclusion of other potential threats the Conservative government has repeatedly referred to the tax to sell its new anti-terror legislation, which would give Canada's spies police-like powers to disrupt threats, it says. And it says other Korean lone wolf attacks, such as Justin uh, Brooks' shooting Rampage in Moncton last June uh, that left three RCMP officers dead, were not automatically branded as terrorism. After three people were arrested last month in an alleged plot to open fire in the Halifax shopping centre, Justice Minister Peter Mackay called them murderous misfits, not terrorists, because their attacks were not culturally motivated. When reporters later asked Mackay to explain what he considers terrorism, he encouraged them to look it up in the Criminal Code. But Prime Minister President Harper has often referred to the threat of Islamic extremism in the House of Commons and once mentioned the jihadist monster whose tentacles reached the parliamentary buildings. And they actually have links to these different statements and so on in the Toronto Star. But it says the CSIS documents explicitly warn that the notion that the Western world is at war with Islam plays into terrorist recruitment strategies. International terrorist groups place a high priority in radicalizing Westerners who can be used to carry out terrorist acts in their home countries. The document reads. It says, the narrative that the West is at war with Islam continues to exert a very powerful influence in radicalizing individuals and spreads quickly through social media and online fora. Other CESIS documents obtained by the Canadian press warned the Conservatives last September that there is an emerging anti-Islam movement in Canada, similar to movements in Europe. And it goes on and on talking about this particular problem. But this is the, the story that they're giving you in The Star, which always goes left-wing and, and so on. And that's his job, because they always give you a star and a sun, and it's, it's always the other way, and, uh, or a Mercury, you see. So, you, uh, so they have different papers that give you different ideologies, because everything is catered to. Every group you could possibly believe you belong to is catered to by a particular newspaper. That's how it's run, even the magazines, too. You should read how the Harper's Magazine, for instance, was put out, why it was put out, and what target group they were putting it out to um, inform, misinform, whatever it happened to be. (laughs) That's how information is always used, of course. Now, this article is very good, well-written. It's by Clayton Ruby, who's a top lawyer for Canada, top cases. I think it's his partner, too, in the business, Nader R. Hassan, I guess it is. And it's put up by Global Research, which, if you go into their, their history, uh, is also a left-wing group, Global Research. And I think the, one of the leaders of it actually uh, attends and talks to the world's Marxist associations, whenever international meetings, things like that. But the article itself is excellent, um, by Clayton Ruby, the lawyer. And uh, I'll read some of this, and it says... Six Muslim young adults stand in front of a mosque late at night in heated discussion in some foreign language. They may be debating the merits of a new Drake album. They may be talking about video games or sports or girls or advocating the overthrow of the Harper government. Who knows? There's no evidence one way or the other, just stereotypes. But the new standard for arrest and detention, reason to suspect that they may commit an act, is so low that an officer may be inclined to arrest and detain them in order to investigate further. And now officers will no longer need to ask themselves where the arrest is necessary. They could act on mere suspicion that an arrest is likely to prevent any terrorist activity. Yesterday, the Muslim men were freely exercising constitutional rights to freedom of expression and assembly. Today, they are to be arrested and gives you the overview of the Anti-Terrorism Act. Bill C-51, the Anti-Terrorism Act 2015, would expand the powers of Canada's spy agency, allow Canadians to be arrested on mere suspicion of future criminal activities, like Minority Report, the movie, isn't it? Allowing the Minister of Public Safety to add Canadians to a no-fly list with illusory rights of judicial review. In other words, there's no real judicial review. And perhaps more alarmingly, create a new speech-related criminal offence of promoting or advocating terrorism. These proposed laws are misguided, and many of them are likely also unconstitutional. The bill ought to be rejected as a whole, Repair is impossible and I think he's right on that. You have to reject the whole thing because generally they bring out the same tactic over and over um, It's like the gas prices, they'll say oh gas prices are going to jump by 40 cents or 50 and Everybody mumbles and grums, oh my god and so on and they give it a week or two The first statement is a trial balloon to see your reaction and according to your reaction on the internet and so on, and yap amongst yourselves, which they'll have all the data off, incident surveys are done with percentages of who's against it and who's going to really be ticked off and so on. And then they lower it proportionally according to what you will accept. So when they bring it down and put it up to only 15 cents, you say, oh, thank God for that. Well, it's the same with these bills, too. They often give you the whole uh, shebang to start with, which are terrifying and... Uh, uh, in, their, in their completeness, actually. And they bring it back with, with certain, again, uh, very, <laughs> I almost call it mystical wording, which allows them to still go ahead with the same th- things they wanted to do at, at, at the very fr- It's all done in courts, isn't it? What they say and the words that they use and how they're going to reinterpret it over and over. Like the American Constitution is always getting reinterpreted by lawyers. Anyway, it says. The bill ought to be rejected. That's the only way you can do that. You can't accept it or have some compromise. But it says new offence of promoting terrorism. It says that the new criminal offence likely violates 2B of the Charter. That's your Charter of Rights for Canadians. The newly proposed uh, S83.221 of the criminal code provides as follows. It says every person who by communication statements... Now, how vague is that, eh? Knowingly advocates or promotes the commission of terrorism offences in general. Now, terrorism itself is very vague because that can be expanded, and it has been expanded, and it can include anything at all. Words you use, terms you use, all these things which are outlawed in Canada, you can't use. It's been that a way for a long time. Again, you're back to self-policing as you get trained and trained and trained throughout your life. This says, other than an offence under this section, while knowing that any of those offences will be committed, or being reckless as to whether any of these offences may be committed, <laughs> how you get, as a result of such communication, is guilty of an indictable offence and is liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. The new offence will bring within its ambit all kinds of innocent speech, some of which no doubt lies at the core of freedom of expression values that the charter was meant to protect as professor kent roach and craig forces points out the new offence would sweep within its net the following scenario and to give you a hypothetical scenario an academic or foreign affairs columnist opines we should provide resources to ukrainian insurgents who are targeting russian oil infrastructure in an effort to increase the political cost of Russian intervention in Ukraine. The speaker says this knowing that her audience includes support groups who may be sending money to those opposing Russian intervention. Providing resources to a group, one of whose purposes is a terrorist activity is a terrorism offence and causing substantial property damage or serious interference with an essential service or system. For a political reason And in a way that endangers life To compel a government to do something Is a terrorist activity This is so even if it takes place abroad So a criminal prosecution of the columnist In the hypothetical situation described above Is a real possibility under the new law It is constitutionally unacceptable and dangerous The the new offence is broader than existing terrorism offences In the criminal code in that it does not require an actual terrorist purpose, so someone can be guilty of this offence, like the columnist, despite completely innocent of purpose, such as attempting to provoke democratic debate, like maybe your intention, or proposing a solution to an intractable international conflict. The speaker's purpose does not matter; they are liable if they are reckless as to the risk that a listener may thereafter commit an unspecified terrorism offense. Criminal culpability or would extend beyond the speaker of the impugned words. Like all criminal offenses, a person can be guilty if they aid or abet the individual who actually commits the offense. Not only the columnist, but also their editors, publishers and research assistants become criminals. It should be noted that there are other promoting and advocating offences in the criminal code. The code contains a prohibition on willful promotion of hatred. It also contains a prohibition on advocating sexual activity with underage children. But hate propaganda and sexual activity with underage children are much narrower than the vague reference to terrorism offences in general. In addition, unlike willful promotion of hatred, which contains an express exception for communications made in private. The proposed new law can be applied to statements made in private. It also means your phone calls, folks, and everything else. This is all the more concerning given the Canadian Security Intelligence Service's expansive anti-terrorism wiretap and surveillance powers. Another truly bizarre aspect of the new offence is the use of the term terrorism offences in general. Other than an offence, under this section, the Criminal Code already contains 14 broadly worded terrorism-related offences. Terrorism activity is a defined term under S. 83.01 of the Criminal Code, but this is broader. It applies to more speech than speech advocating or promoting terrorist activity. Or the 14 terrorism offences in the criminal code. The new offence is meant to include speech promoting and advocating terrorism in general. A deliberately opaque and unknowable term. And that's why it's, it is that way. It's because it can be interpreted depending if they want to get a person in the slammer or not. If the government exercises restraint in laying charges and arresting people, the result is an inevitable chill on speech. Students will think twice before posting an article on Facebook questioning military action against insurgencies overseas. Journalists will be wary of questioning government decisions to add groups to Canada's list of terrorist entities. In other words, again, you're back to self-policing now. And just like being on camera, changes your behavior. Now, once you know this and they get a few suspects to start with uh, as warnings to everybody else, and that's to make yourself police yourself. This is how these things work out. These are all thought out in think tanks long before they put it all down in, in words, you know. And it says, the new ceases powers, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, was created in nine, eight, 1984 by an Act of Parliament. To that point, Security Intelligence Canada was a purview of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Security Service. However, in the 1970s, there were allegations that RCMP security services had been involved in numerous illegal activities. In 1977, as a result of these allegations, Justice David MacDonald was appointed to investigate. The Donald MacDonald Commission published its final report in 1981 with its main recommendation being that security intelligence work should be separate from policing and that a civilian intelligence agency should be created to take over from the RCMP Security Service. He goes on to say that CSIS was created to be that civilian intelligence agency. At the time of its creation, CSIS was subject to general oversight review by a new body called the Security Intelligence Review Committee, which has been starved of resources, as well as by the Office of the Inspector General, which was abolished and disbanded in 2012. The idea behind CISIS was that abuses of power were less likely to occur if intelligence gathering was separated from law enforcement. It's awfully important, that, too. Bill C-51 erodes the distinction between csis traditional intelligence gathering role by giving it broad new powers to engage in law enforcement-type activities. Under Bill C-51, csis would be able to take measures to reduce threats to the security of Canada. For example, S12.1 of the proposed Act states, if there are reasonable grounds to believe that a particular activity constitutes a threat to the security of Canada, the service may take measures within or outside Canada to reduce the threat. The power under S12.1 is broadly defined giving CISA's virtually unfettered authority to conduct any operation it thinks is in the interest of Korean security. The definitions are so broad that they could apply to almost anything, including measures, to disrupt or interfere with non-violent civil disobedience. Only the following activities are explicitly excluded from these new powers, as per s. 12.2.1 of the Acts. In taking measures to reduce a threat to the security of Canada, the service shall not, a. cause intentionally or by criminal negligence, death or bodily harm to an individual, B. Willfully attempt any manner to obstruct, pervert, or defeat the course of justice. Or C. Violate the sexual integrity of an individual. It says these limited exclusions leave ceases with incredibly expansive powers, including waterboarding, inflicting pain and torture, or causing psychological harm to an individual. They can use drugs on you and things like that. The government has pointed out that in order for CSIS to take measures under IS121.1, CSIS must first apply for a warrant. Under the warrant provision, a judge may issue a warrant if satisfied that there are reasonable grounds to justify the belief that the request measures uh, are required to enable CSIS to reduce the threat to the security of Canada and are reasonable and proportionate. This is an odd standard, it says, which judges will find difficult, if not impossible, to apply. Well, they're not going to go into the fact there's an a, a old school tie thing at work here, too, because you'll find there's always crossovers within circles between security systems, even police, and uh, the circle uh, of judges, and so on. And they have their own little codes to go through by, by the way. And uh, and things get done which perhaps shouldn't be done. But it says it says here the ordinary standard for issuance of a warrant is based on reasonable grounds to believe that a criminal offence has been committed. In the case of a warrant uh, to arrest or eight, or reasonable grounds to believe that the search of a place will afford evidence of an offence. In the case of a search pursuant to a judicial warrant. Then 9. These are determinations that can be made objectively based on the evidence by an impartial judicial or officer. By contrast, whether a given measure would proportionally reduce the threat to the security of Canada is not like these other tests. It amounts to asking judges to look into a crystal ball to determine if Canada will be safer in the future if a Csis officer takes some measures. This is not a determination that judges are equipped to make. The limits will vary with the judges chosen by CSIS, not with the evidence. And there will be select ones chosen by CSIS. The expansion of CSIS power is troubling given the RCMP's notorious history of commingling intelligence gathering and law enforcement. It's also troubling for the additional reason that there is very little oversight of CSIS activities. At present, CSIS is only accountable to the SIRC. CISIS has a budget of over $500 million annually. Uh, It says SIRC, the oversight one, has an annual budget of $3 million and is staffed by four part-time committee members. It no longer has a director general who watches the watchers. By contrast, spy agencies in other countries are supervised by powerful parliamentary or congressional committees the sweeping new powers coupled with the woeful lack of oversight risks turning CSIS into a dangerous secret police force. For the harder thinking, I'll mention that again, the sweeping new powers coupled with the woeful lack of oversight risks turning CSIS into a dangerous secret police force. As for preventative arrest powers, The current anti-terrorism sections of the Criminal code already contain provisions for preventative arrest, preventative detention, and preventative restraints on liberty. Preventive detention is at odds with our legal tradition of only prosecuting and punishing crimes that have been committed already, and only after those offences have been proved by the prosecution beyond a reasonable doubt preventive detention, that is detention on a suspicion that someone may or will commit a crime at some point in the future, is the opposite of that legal tradition, and is inconsistent with the constitutionally protected right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. Prior to the enactment of the 2001 anti-terrorism provisions, the only preventive detention scheme in the criminal code was a dangerous offender regime. 13. But we have found a dangerous offender or a long-term offender under Part uh, 24 of the Criminal Code, an offender must have been already convicted of a serious personal injury offence, and there must be evidence that the individual constitutes a threat to the life, safety or physical and mental well-being of other persons based on evidence of repetitive or persistent serious criminal behaviour. By contrast, The anti-terrorism criminal code provisions permit the arrest and detention of individuals who have not been convicted or even charged with any offence based on what they might do. I mean, that's really something, eh? The current preventive detention scheme is already constitutionally suspect. The proposed amendments in Bill C-51 will further lower the threshold for preventive arrest and detention, increasing the risk that entirely innocent people will be swept up on mere suspicion. So will nuisance people, dis-nuisances. This, this Under the current 83.3, uh, brackets 2, of the Criminal Code, a peace officer is empowered to lay on an information and bring an individual before a provincial court judge if the, if the officer, A, believes that on reasonable grounds that terrorist activity will be carried out and B, suspects on reasonable grounds that the position of a recognizance with conditions on a person or the rest of a person is necessary to prevent them carrying out the terrorist activity. Where resistant uh, circumstances exist or where laying the uh, information would be impractical, the individual may be arrested without a warrant. The new measures will allow law enforcement agents to arrest somebody if they suspect that a terrorist act may be carried out instead of the current standard of will be carried out. Bill C fifty one also substitutes likely for necessary, such that eighty three point three brackets two would now enable a peace officer to lay information or effect a warrantless arrest if the officer this is the new one believes on reasonable grounds that a terrorist activity will may be carried out, and b suspects on reasonable grounds that the position of a cognizance with conditions on a person or the arrest of a person is, necessary, is likely to prevent the carrying out of a terrorist activity. Says, Both changes result in a significant lowering of the standard for arrest and detention. The changes to the law are significant in two respects. The substitution of may, where it currently says will, is a significant watering down of the standard. Will, when coupled with reasonable grounds to believe, denotes evidence-based probability, whereas may denotes mere possibility. The shift from necessary to likely is equally important. Necessity in this context suggests that the police officer suspects that no measure other than arrest will prevent a terrorist act. Likelihood is not necessary. Under the new provision, the police officer need only suspect that the arrest is more likely than not to prevent terrorist activity. Koreans do not want government to arrest individuals based on religious and ethnic stereotypes, under the new standard, it would be nearly impossible to challenge their decisions. Then the no-fly list powers. Bill C-51 codifies the Minister of Public Safety's power to put Canadians on a so-called no-fly list, which prevents them from getting on an airplane. The Minister can add anyone to the no-fly list on mere suspicion that he or she will engage in an act that would threaten transportation, security or travel by air for the purpose of committing an act of terrorism. Putting someone on the no-fly list is a significant restraint on liberty. And once on the no-fly list, the procedure to have one's name removed from the list is complex and difficult. Someone on the no-fly list has the right to appeal the minister's decision to a judge of the federal court, but it's a very narrow and futile appeal. It's not nearly enough for the individual to show that the minister was wrong. To put them on the no-fly list, They must also show that the minister had acted unreasonably. Moreover, the review procedures in Bill 51 for challenging the no-fly list designation incorporates the procedure from the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act's Byzantine Security Certificate regime. This means the Minister can ask the court to hold part of the hearing in secret. The individual challenging his or her no-fly list designation, their lawyers and the public are, are excluded from the courtroom when the government presents its case the judge hearing the appeal can base his or her entire decision on evidence that was presented during the secret portion of the hearing. Oh, George Orwell, uh, he had it all right, eh? In 2007, the Supreme Court held that this procedure was unconstitutional under S. 7 of the Charter when applied to judicial review of the detention of a non-citizen detained pursuant to a security certificate. Although being put on the no-fly list is a less serious restraint on liberty than being subject to a security certificate, S-7, the charter is still triggered. And thus the core protections of, of S-7, such as the right to know the, the case to meet, should apply. The currently proposed procedure unequivocally violates that right. And as by Clayton Ruby. It says, one of the, the Canada's leading lawyers, unsp- outspoken proponent of freedom of the press... And a prominent member of the environmental community and a member of the Order of Canada. And his partner, uh, Nader R. Hassan, practices criminal and constitutional law, both at trial and appellate levels. And is also an adjunct professor at the University of Toronto, Faculty of Law. They are partners at Ruby Schiller, uh, Chan Hassan Barristers, which is lawyers. So, uh, it's all coming down, folks, and uh, it's, no, it's no surprise to me, it's no shock, because I, I knew at the beginning that since uh, ARPA, and then DARPA, uh, was, was in control of the internet long before you got a hold of it, and before they gave it to you, uh, they wanted you all on it for their own particular reasons, including definitely surveillance, complete and personality profiling and so on. And I knew too, as I say, from different uh, leaks that have come out over many years from different people, uh, that uh, they, they'd have to erode it away. Until don't worry though; they'll, they'll leave you with your, you know, your, your, your the things that you love to do—video games and stuff and cartoons, pornography. Of course, they'll, they'll make sure that keeps going. That's how they got so many for content in the first place. They made sure everyone knew there was lots of pornography on it, and. Um, uh, and you really play yourself too, and and stay on safe topics, or, or the new age, for instance, and reincarnation and uh, Bigfoot, and all these things that keep you harmless to the to the government, and that's what they want you to be involved in, things which are utterly harmless and irrelevant to to life in general. That's how bad it is. So it's all coming down the pike, and. You're self-policing. If you're not self-policing, you should be in your private phone calls because folk can, make, can try and trip you up. and you, you know, don't know when you're getting set up. You never do. By anybody. Don't ever be fooled. Even if you think you know the person because you've spoken to them before or they've emailed you before, anything like that, be very, very careful because it'll be used against you, as I've been saying for years. Every word that you utter will be used against you. Even jokes, jokes are not safe at all. Because if you were to hear, for instance, in court—not that you will, under all the new laws—part of a, a recording being being played uh, is completely different than having a lawyer or a prosecutor read it in a flat tone. That there's no inflections there, there's no humour there, there's no joking mood. Involved, it can, so whatever you say can be used. Did, did you really say this? Well, that's it. You say, and the Stasi really is all, all there, and with ongoing anti-terrorism, which is going to go on for way past your lives and, and next generation's like This is the one they hit on to get the whole agenda through to keep you safe. Of course, again, the good reason, but not the real reason. Uh, then. It's all a done deal as far as I'm concerned So be careful That's all you can do now is be careful Be very, very careful Because it's not safe To give your opinions on things No matter how innocent The topic or the conversation Or even private conversations it's often, I've said for years to people When they phone me up Be careful, there's a third year in every call But they forget, most of them Well from Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada It's night to me, your God Or your God's go with you